Well, thank you, Linda, and I want to let you know that uh, all of your work is creating some wonderful expressions of the tr family life here at St. Andrews, and most particularly yesterday we had a women's tea that came back after a hiatus through COVID, so I want to thank you for all those who put that on, for Michelle, who led us, uh, who had the vision, and um, Deanne, who partnered with her in order to bring all to fruition. Would you give them a little hand clap and say thank you? Thank you. Wonderful job, ladies and everyone involved. Thank you for that. I want to now uh, invite you to find a pew Bible or follow along on the screens. Or if you brought a Bible, bonus points. We're in John 15 today. We're going to be in the middle section. I will read it for us. Let me pray before I do. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sweet worship in this place. Uh, may you continue now to uh, move in our lives. Would you illuminate that which with you would want to illuminate within us as we come to look at your word to understand it better? Lord, would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? Would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? And Lord, would you give us uh, your love so that we might be emboldened in faith to take the next step that you are inviting us to today. In your name we pray. Amen. John chapter 15, starting at verse 8. Is that right? No, verse 9, excuse me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, 
they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Katie, my wife, will tell you that one of the hardest days for me in the last five years was the day that we took our oldest son, Remy, to TK. And I know it seems weird that this, this is about me, but uh, taking your child, those parents in the room, uh, to a big event for the first time, uh, a place where, for me personally, there was a lot of pain at school, and then to have to drop them off and to see them in tears, have to go into this new world, is a heart-wrenching and difficult experience. And thankfully, as Remy was there crying in TK, he had a friend, a girl who had some older siblings who was a little more comfortable at school, come up and pull him alongside. So our little hearts left as they went um, into the room. David Foster writes this, The heart of God is an open wound of love. The heart of God is an open wound of love. And so just in some small way, maybe as a parent thinks about sending their kid off to school, we're going to picture what it must have been like for Jesus to send his disciples into this world that he describes is going to be as hostile to them as it was to him. As he is moving now into a season where he's going to the cross because he's been betrayed by one of his close, tight-knit circle, one of his disciples, one of the people he's been doing life with. And there's a whole conspiracy now to put him to death. And he understands this. He understands what's before him. And he's also telling the disciples that they also are going to face these kind of difficulties in the future. And so his heart is open. It's a vulnerable thing to understand that you're sending the one, the people that you love, into a difficult situation that you have no control over the outcome of. As far as their response to you, but God has sent Jesus in this way into the world. God has, set, has sent pure love into the world, a vulnerable act of God. And now Jesus sends his disciples out into the world in pure love and vulnerability, knowing that they are... It's okay, baby. It's all right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that those are expressions of worship. I heard it. I heard it earlier. We love it. We love it. These expressions of love are the thing that I want us to look at because they're what helps us to go out into a hostile world that doesn't always understand why we seek to represent Jesus 
in our day-to-day lives. Why we desire to see the love of God made known in our midst, not just in our friendships, in our community here at the church, but also out into the world where it won't be received in the same way as it is inside the church. And so how does Jesus help the disciples to do this work? He says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, so remain in my love. And so one of the things that I think is such an important aid in this work is that Jesus' love is unwavering, does not change over time, doesn't go in and out with the circumstances that come, but it is unwavering, unrelenting, always there. As parents, we know that that moment when we realize we're going to become parents, that there's something that happens. We love our children before we even meet our children. And we know that that love will remain, regardless of what they do or how they act or how they frustrate us on a regular basis. That that love remains. Even though they know how to push our buttons and get to us in a way nobody else does, they know our vulnerabilities, that that love will never cease to exist. That love is at the very core of the relationship that you have with those that you're closest with, that we call family. And then, amazingly, Jesus invites us into a bigger picture of family that says that this love that is given by God to him is the same love that I'm going to give to the disciples, that I have given to the disciples. And now the only job left is just to remain in this unwavering love. A fun way that I saw this put the other day, I think we have a picture of. This is a t-shirt that I want to get. It says, God loves me and there's nothing I could do about it. (laughs) Right? It's a different way of thinking about God's love. There's nothing you could do to stop it. It will always be there for you. Anybody want to get this t-shirt? I'm not sure why that that drawing is that way. (laughs) Right? And so to understand the mechanics of this love is to understand a little more of how we might extend God's love out into the world. So I want to show you another picture. This is a, a picture of the Trinity by a guy named Scott Erickson. And it's a core concept here, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in this act of selfless giving, of pouring out from one to the next, to the next, to the next. So God's love poured out. God himself willfully pours himself out in love for the world. And that goes into Jesus. And then Jesus willfully pours himself out to the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit who've been promised to the church willfully pours itself out into the church. And there's this great invitation 
for all of us to participate. Somehow, Jesus is telling us that he's making it possible that we can participate in this endless self-giving love. Have you seen how he flattened the hierarchy here in an unimaginable way? This revolutionary teaching. Jesus calls his disciples friends. Now that may become normalized for us, us on the other side of the New Testament who've heard this in Sunday school since we were kids. But if you really think about what it means that God calls us friends, it is a revolutionary statement. Flattening the hierarchy of heaven to be shoulder to shoulder with us, to be eye to eye with us, to make himself equal with us. And in order to do that, he invites us to be with him where he is. He says, I'm going to do what it takes to cover the sin and the burdens and the things that we carry so that we truly can be in real relationship with God on a friendship level. How is one to respond to such a gift? Is it that we get a big head and we think, oh, great, like, look at me, I'm God's friend. Well, one way we might think about responding to this is uh, illustrated by what my five-year-old daughter brought home from school the other day. You may remember this one. She came up to me and she said, Dad, what's your name? And I was like, well, I think you know that. Okay, my name's Dad. And then she said, what's this? And I said, nose. And then she went, and what's in my hand? And I said, nothing. She said, right, Dad knows nothing. (laughs) And I was like, All right, glad we're learning in school, that's good. (laughs) But then Remy heard, and he wanted to repair things. He wanted to look good, big brother moment, right? And so he did the same thing. He said, what's your name? And I said, Dad. He said, what's this? Knows. And then he said, what's all this over here? And I said, everything. He said, that's right, Dad knows everything. But it actually reminded me of a rabbinical teaching that I had uh, previously learned about. I've talked about it before, but it bears repeating. It's this beautiful teaching of a rabbi who's trying to come to grips with this understanding of God's love and its implications for how to act in the world. And the teaching is that what you should do is that you should carry two pieces of paper in your pocket, and you should take the one that you need Uh, given the moment, uh, out when it's appropriate. And so, on the one hand, you could pull out a piece of paper that says, for my sake, the world was created. And then, on the other, in the other pocket, you could pull it out and you could say, I am but dust and ashes. And so it is, right, that when we're connected to Jesus in this love, that we can apply the right teaching in the right moment. I think when it comes to humility, 
that we can even look to our saint, St. Andrews, that we're named after. This wonderful disciple of Jesus who does not get a lot of airtime, but was able in the moment that he saw Jesus to go get his brother, Peter, and to say, without even taking credit, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one that we should follow. And to invite Peter into that, we have the verse. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. One of a beautiful teaching I heard recently was to think of this concept of somebody like Andrew who really just fades off, only has a few little lines and then fades off and is really overshadowed, right, by his brother Peter. But one of the things we're called to as Christians is actually to humility that says it's completely fine to be overshadowed. We're called to play a part. We're just called to play our part to walk in humility. Like Andrew, who didn't need credit, but said, we found the Messiah. Didn't take personal, hey, I did this, look at me, but said, we found the Messiah. And this overshadowing is a way that the Holy Spirit could overshadow us. And to just say, because God loves me, I can do loving acts of kindness and I don't have to get recognized for it. I don't have to announce it. But I can just remember that I am but dust and ashes. But yet, on the other hand, if we're beating ourselves up, if we're we're continuously viewing ourselves as unworthy, if we're continuously feeling guilt and shame in our life, then we also need to be reminded who has taken care of that guilt and shame. Who is the one that has declared it is finished? And in its place, the whole world is given. And so, accordingly, we might pull out these two pieces of paper. That is how we're called to live in a world that is going to give us feedback that we do not want as we seek to love Jesus. Another way, because I need to quote C.S. Lewis as frequently as possible, that this is taught by him is in this reordering of goals that he calls the principle of first and second things. He wrote this to a couple struggling friends. He said, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So when we put first things first, We get second things thrown in. But if we put second things first, we lose both the first and second things. Because you remember the command is to love first. And the teaching is that the second command then is to love neighbor. 
But if we seek to love neighbor without first being connected to the love of God, we were going to get discouraged because we're going to think that it's on us to control the response for our neighbors. But that's not what God's calling us to do. He's simply calling us to love and to extend the love that's given to us to the people around us and let the response be as it may. And while we do it, to remember what we're connected to, this endless pouring out, this endless love that will never stop, that will always be there when we need it. One final story from Henry Nouwen. Some of you know he was a Harvard Divinity School professor, wrote many, many books, and then as he got later in his career, he sort of had a crisis related to wanting to be out of academia and more into a substantial ministry context. And so what he did is he left Harvard and he went to this community in France called La Arche, which was a community for people with disabilities. Actually, it continues on to this day. The La Arche communities are in many different cities across the world, actually. But this is a story that he tells about his time in La Arche community. He says this, Not long ago, in my own community, I had a very personal experience of the power of a real blessing. Shortly before I started a prayer service in one of our houses, Janet, a handicapped member of our community, said to me, Henry, can you give me a blessing? I responded in a somewhat automatic way by tracing with my thumb the sign of the cross on her forehead. Instead of being grateful, however, she protested vehemently, no, that doesn't work. I want a real blessing. I suddenly became aware of the ritualistic quality of my response to her request and said, I am sorry, I will give you a real blessing when we are together for the prayer service. She nodded with a smile, and I realized that something special was required of me. Later that day at the service, when about 30 people were sitting in a circle on the floor, I said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing. She feels the, needs, uh, the need for that now. As I was saying this, I did not know what Janet really wanted, but Janet didn't leave me in doubt for very long. As soon as I had said, Janet has asked me for a spe special blessing, she stood up and walked towards me. I was wearing a long white robe with ample sleeves covering my hands as well as my arms. Spontaneously, Janet put her arms around me and put her head against my chest. Without thinking, I covered her with my sleeves so that she almost vanished into the folding of my robe. As we held each other, I said, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the good things you do show us what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days and that there's some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are, a very special person deeply loved by God and all the people who are here with you. As I said these words, Janet raised her head, looked at me, with her broad smile, showed that she had really heard and received the blessing. 
When she returned to her place, Jane, another woman, raised her hand and said, I want a blessing too. She stood up and before I knew it, had put her face against my chest. After I had spoken words of blessing to her, many more of the people followed, expressing that same desire to be blessed. The most touching moment, however, came when one of the assistants, a 24-year-old student, raised his blessed hand and said, And what about me? Sure, I said, come. He came, and as we stood before each other, I put my arms around him and said, John, it is so good that you are here. You are God's beloved son. Your presence is a joy for us all. When things are hard and life is burdensome, always remember that you are loved with an everlasting love. As I spoke these words, he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and then he said, thank you, thank you very much. That evening, I recognized the importance of blessing and being blessed and reclaimed it as a true sign of the beloved. The blessing that we give to each other are expressions of the blessings that rest on us from all eternity. It is the deepest affirmation of our true self. It is not enough to be chosen. We also need an ongoing blessing that allows us to bear in an ever new way that we belong to a loving God who will never leave us alone, but will remind us always that we are guided by love on every step of our lives. My prayer is that you would feel this blessing of God transmitted through Jesus Christ, who turned to his disciples in his moment of greatest pain and suffering. And as he was about to go to the cross, said, you are my friends, and I love you. To ground them in the very thing that they would need to go out on their mission to love the world. May it be true for us today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, you call us, your disciples, your friends. May we give our willing love back to you in the way that you have so freely given to us. And Lord, we're thankful that your love just covers us, covers every bit of us, so that we can do the things that you have called us to do so that we can live this life with strength and joy and passion. Would you fill us with all love so that we could know your joy? We thank you for this great gift. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.